0: Some uh, 75% of Americans wear some kind of corrective lens. About 64% glasses, 11% uh, happen to wear contact lenses. And I know that there are some that, whenever they take on glasses, they some of them even still today get a little embarrassed, uh, especially with the bifocals. And I've had bifocals since I was about 40 years old. 40% of those that wear corrective lenses uh, are nearsighted or myopic. And that's true for 50% of those who wear some kind of corrective lens around the world. Well, if we need this kind of corrective lens for our physical sight, certainly it is necessary because of our world and the depravity of our own hearts for us to have some kind of corrective lens when we look at God and when we look at those issues that are important to Him and to His people and His church. John chapter 15 is going to help us with that. If you'll turn there with me, uh, we'll look at the text beginning in verse number 18 and then we'll look at the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 16 in verse number 1. Here in this text, Jesus Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would give the disciples the appropriate view of their mission in the world. He, The Holy Spirit would be the corrective lens for the disciples. And in this text, he begins to work in this way already here. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 18, here's what he says. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, This sin of hatefulness. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. This sin of rejection and hatefulness. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which was written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father he will testify of me and you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning these things i've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble ladies and gentlemen with the holy spirit you've got all the abundant help of god to deal with the world as it is the holy spirit comes through and he Helps us. The particular word that is used here, translated in the New King James Version, helper, some of your versions, comforter or counselor, uh, is really a, a word that is a Greek legal word, not always of a professional attorney, but oftentimes someone that would accompany someone to a court and give them some advice and counsel. They didn't have quite the standards we do for uh, courtroom qualifications, for counselors, for uh, attorneys, as they uh, help clients. Uh, they, they had, But they did allow others to come in and give help. And the Holy Spirit walks with us in that way, and that is how He gives us great comfort. We've got someone who is an expert at dealing with the world, who walks with us. And that's what Jesus Christ promised in... Uh, Verse 26 and 27 of John chapter 15. Now the question is, how does the Holy Spirit help? Well, there are a number of ways that are found in the text. First, the Holy Spirit moves towards the hateful world. The Holy Spirit moves towards the hateful world. Now you would think that whenever the gospel of Christ came into the world, it would be the sweetest message in all the world. And indeed it was. But you would expect there'd be a marvelous reception of that work. You would imagine that people would throw parades and they would host festivals in honor of the birth of the king and welcoming Jesus. But, Ladies and gentlemen, it was the exact opposite. There was bloodshed. There was persecution. There was hatefulness. There was all manner of evil thrown upon the Christians. Christians were called incestuous because they married, quote, brothers and sisters in Christ. They were called atheists because they did not believe in the ancient pagan gods. No matter where they went, they were hounded, they were harassed, they were hurt, and they were killed. And Jesus said, you need to know, that's what's going to happen to you disciples in this world. And there are a couple of reasons why that surfaced from the text. One is simply the disciples themselves and their nature. Jesus said, I've called you out of this world I've made you of a nature of me, you reflect me now, you're no longer of the world, and the truth is, is that the world simply can't stand anyone who does not conform. And it doesn't matter whether you conform to that which is right or whether it's neutral or wrong, the world can't stand anyone who steps outside its mold. And Jesus said, you're not going to be part of the mold. But there's another reason, and that is not only because of disobedience, uh, not only because of the disciples and their nature, but also because of the world's disobedience. Truth is, they were terribly disobedient to the work and the word of God. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. They were some of the most religious people in the history of religion, and yet they were disobedient. Did you know that religion can make a person disobedient? Oh, they had religious motivations. That's why we believe we need to be a biblical people, not merely a religious people. Most religion, I'm convinced, is is a religious attempt to rebel against God and offer substitutes for what God actually says in His Word. And that's why we're so vigorous as a church looking into the Scripture, because we're susceptible. We're not superior. Oh, no. But it was religious people, intensely religious people, people that had twisted the Old Testament, people that had twisted the traditions of Israel that brought them to the point where they murdered God when He came to the earth. That's what you find in the Scripture. So whenever the disciples show up with these disobedient folks that are walking in darkness, the disciples are light and they turn on the lights. Let me ask you something. Were you like me when you were a teenager? Did you enjoy sleep? And did your father ever walk into the room and start turning on the lights in the morning to wake you up? In our home, we call it seizure time. One of my children especially says, you're going to give me a seizure. So I flip the lights quicker and more often. I I want to see that. But whenever you're in darkness and the lights come on, it annoys and it irritates. and, And that's why some people don't like you. It's not that you've done something wrong, it's that you've done something right, and you represent light. Jesus said, not only is He the light of the world, He said that those who follow Him are the light of the world. J. Vernon McGee has a very interesting comment on this passage. He says, be very aware and leery of the Christian who is popular. The world will hate a real child of God. And no Christian has any right to be more popular than Jesus. Now, don't go out and look for trouble. I mean, in every crowd this size, there's somebody that's going to go out and be obnoxious. Don't do that. You just be like Jesus, and that will take care of itself. And in all of that, you continue to be like Jesus, but that's what we have here. Now, look, you've got a hateful world in verses 18 through 25, but then look what happens in verse 26. There is a serious turn In Jesus' message, the world is going to be hateful because of the disciples and who they are and who they're not. The world is going to be hateful because of their disobedience and the disciples bring light to it. But verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you, he'll be a witness. In other words, here's what's happening. The disciples go into the world, the world hates them, and the Holy Spirit does not run or flee from that hatefulness. He does the exact opposite. He pursues it. He steps into the middle of the hatefulness and gives power to the disciples. That is precisely what He does, and that's what we find here in the text. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, I know the world is difficult, but the Holy Spirit is not isolating Himself He is insulating believers as they are in the world. They go towards the world. So I want to say to you, this is then the best day to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the best day to be a member of a church. This is the best day to live in Clark County and live in Northeast Georgia. Because whatever happens and whatever comes our way, the Holy Spirit of God is running to the world even when it's hateful and we can go with Him. That's the first thing. The Spirit moves towards the hateful world. Now, imagine as the Spirit goes to the world, imagine all that He might say to that world. Let me ask you. You step into a hostile place and let's say you've got all the boldness of a lion. And let's imagine that you've got quick thinking and you're quick on your feet. What would you say to that world? Ah, there's some of us want to tell them off. There's some of them that would want to blister them. There's some of us that would like to expose wickedness and sinfulness. I want you to see what it says in verse number 26. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. And that leads me to my second point. He not only moves to a hateful world, but He lifts up the Lord Jesus. In a hateful world, the Holy Spirit lifts up the Lord Jesus. It says here, He will testify of me. He communicates to that place in the human heart and soul that you and I cannot reach. We're not able to reach the heart. We're not able to reach the innards, the inner man or woman in the world. We can reach the ears and we need to. Verse 27 will say so in so many words. But the Holy Spirit begins to testify in the heart of the person that is listening to the Christian witness. So what does He say? He says, look on the Lord Jesus. Look how lovely Jesus is. Uh, look, look how right He is. Look how true His Word is. Look, look at the sinless life. Look, look at that wonderful birth. And, and the Holy Spirit says, look, look at the bloodstained cross. And look at that powerful, mighty, victorious resurrection. Look at all the, all the promises of how He will accompany His people through trial and through sorrow and through temptation." And then look at his promise of his coming, how things are going to get much better for the children of God, and how he's going to bring the kingdom. In other words, the Holy Spirit begins to testify of Jesus. Now, we learned about 25 or 30 years ago in ministry studies that there are three types of churches. There are some churches that are father churches, some churches that are son churches, and some that are Holy Spirit churches. Uh, Some emphasize the father in their worship, and their corporate life. And they tend to be high church and liturgical. Uh, they, they tend to be really attached to buildings and uh, really attached to tradition. And, and then there are some churches that are Holy Spirit churches where you learn far more about the Holy Spirit than you do um, the Son or the Father. And those tend to be your charismatic and Pentecostal churches, although not, not entirely. But then there are churches that emphasize Jesus Christ. Historically, Baptists have been that way, and other evangelicals have as well. Well, let me ask you something. What kind of church, what kind of church would the Holy Spirit, what kind of church would the Holy Spirit choose to join and attend and, and serve in if he had a father church as a choice, a son church, or a Holy Spirit church? Look here, verse 26. When the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Spirit had a choice, the Holy Spirit would choose the Jesus church all the time. The Holy Spirit is extroverted. The Holy Spirit is zealous. The Holy Spirit is aggressive in magnifying Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit's in control of a church or people, the Holy Spirit lifts up and magnifies Jesus Christ. That's what He does. And it's all about Jesus then. In fact, I think the whole Trinity is focused on Jesus Christ. And so there is no better way than to be introduced to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes to the world. He declares the good news of Christ because that good news of Jesus Christ, that message of Jesus, is the very message that takes the most hateful of people and transforms them into the children of God. That, more than anything else, is what a hateful world needs. and That's what the Holy Spirit does here in verse 2. 26. In fact, right now, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing now. He's testifying in your heart where I can't reach about how lovely Jesus is, about who He is, that He's the Son of God, and that His Word is true. And the Holy Spirit is wooing you and drawing you to give your heart and life to Christ today. Or if you know Him, to yield your all and bow before Him again today. He's drawing you to do that, and He will become uh, especially intense after this message during our invitation. And you'll have the opportunity to respond to Him. But right now, He's confirming in your heart that the Scripture is true, that all of His promises are true, uh, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's moving upon you. He's speaking to you. He's convincing you that the cross and resurrection are the only way to be made right with God, and that your only response is faith in Him. That's what the Holy Spirit is even doing right now. Well, you say, well, I'm lost, and that's not happening to me. Oh, my. Oh, my. You need to let your heart break. You say, I'm a Christian, but I don't sense anything now. Oh, my goodness, you need to be, you need to be very, very concerned. Because I will tell you, the effectiveness of a message in a worship service depends less on the performance of those on the platform, and it depends more on the hearts of those who participate because of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moves towards the hateful world and he lifts up the Lord Jesus. But there's a third thing. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Christian. Uh, Billy Graham tells the story of a British clergyman by the name of Billy Bray, who uh, was zealous and on fire for Christ. and He was by the bedside of a dying saint who had really been shy and timid and quite silent his whole life about uh, Jesus. And the man uh, there that he was uh, speaking with uh, in, in his last moment said, Oh, if I had the strength now, I would shout glory. And Billy Bray said, It's a pity you didn't shout glory when you had the strength. And I think he's right. Let me ask you something. Wouldn't you like to be among those who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and even this day, you tell others about the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like to be among, I mean, let me ask you something. Raise your hand if you want anyone to die and go to hell. Now, raise your hand if you want everyone to go to heaven. Well, that was pretty simple, wasn't it? Wouldn't you like to make an impact upon other people's lives? Well, look what he says in verse 27. Now, there is a translation issue here that um, I uh, implied whenever I read the text in verse 27. It is um, probably better translated as a commandment here. you shall. He says, uh, as it reads in the New King James, you also will bear witness. That comes across like a promise. It really should be translated as a command. And you also bear witness. It's a present imperative here. And he says, you also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. In other words, you saw me from the beginning of my ministry to the present day, and you'll see it till the end. Well, we've got all of that in the New Testament, and we have been benefactors of all of that. So you will, or excuse me, you, he says here, uh, also bear witness. We can be among those because of the Holy Spirit who obey this command and make a difference in the lives of others by sharing the good news of Christ with them. In fact, Jesus promised this in another place in Acts 1.8. He said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, because of the Holy Spirit, your witness is going to be adequate no matter where you go. You can go locally, you can go nationally and you can go internationally and the Holy Spirit's power will attend you in every place. He will accompany you in every region, every location and make you powerful and effective. So those that are sharing the good news of Christ, the Holy Spirit's got a hold of them. But those who do not are not possessed and controlled by the Holy Spirit or else he would loose their tongues and praise and good news of Jesus Christ. So he speaks through the Christian. Now, the the point is, the Holy Spirit doesn't actually have a voice that humans can hear with their ears. Therefore, he marshals human forces. He uh, requisitions our voices and uses our voices to communicate to this world. Let me ask you something. Do you lack power? Or are you moving with the Holy Spirit to the world? with the good news of Christ. Does anyone know Christ or because of you? Would you like a change? Would you like to be somebody that God uses to make a difference in someone else's life? Well, how can I do that? Well, you need to start with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an acronym here. You need to start with the Holy Spirit. S, state your poverty, the poverty of your heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus gave a very hopeful word. He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, God blesses the one who is poor in spirit. In other words, we already are. We need to acknowledge it. State your poverty, the poverty of your heart. And When I say state, take it like a bank statement. Imagine every time you consider the spiritual strength of your own heart, you look at your bank statement from Heaven's Bank and you're busted. You're bankrupt. In fact, you owe God. And you come before God with that poverty and you admit, Dear God, I'm busted. I'm bankrupt. I don't have the power, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the words, and I got to admit, I really don't care and I don't think about it a lot. God, would you infuse me with your spirit and help me to make a difference in someone else's life? Because God, if you don't come through, if you don't fill me up, my account with you, I'm not going to make a difference. I'm just going to keep being the same person I've always been, dead, lifeless, boring, ineffective, and I'm tired of it, and I don't want to be ineffective ever, ever again. I want Jesus glorified in my life. That's what I want. I've got strength now, and I want to get it done. And so you state your poverty. It reminds me about somebody that stated some things true about a Ford Escort they had for sale. Recently, in a classified ad, it read, 1990 Ford Escort, $250. Could be driven, should be towed. You know, we're like a 1994 Escort. Could be driven, but if we're going to get anywhere, God's going to have to tow us someplace, and He'll do it every time to the one who will trust the Holy Spirit. And you start by stating uh, your poverty, the poverty of your heart. But then that's not all. You not only state the poverty of your heart, you turn. Uh, you, You turn. You turn from being unalarmed about ineffectiveness. You see, up to this point, some of us just haven't cared. We don't care that the neighbor doesn't know Jesus. We, we, we don't care that strangers don't know. I mean, we don't want anyone to go to hell, but really we've not been alarmed enough to do anything about it. In fact, we don't think about it. I mean, we can hear songs about the glory and the coming of Christ and never think at all about somebody perishing. We can hear someone quote John three sixteen and miss that poignant in that none should perish and completely forget about it. So we turn from that. We turn from being unalarmed about ineffectiveness and we get aggressive about fixing it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 34, Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, to the Corinthians. In other words, it's a humiliating thing that I'm not effective. It's a humiliating thing that God isn't using me. I can't stand it. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. It's not His fault. It's not the world's fault, as hateful as it may be. It's on me, and i got to change it, and i got to change it today. I've got to do something for God. I've got to be big for God. I've got to make a difference for the name of His Son. Man, I'm telling you, if Jesus bled on the cross and God slaughtered Him there, I'm going to tell it. I'm going to let others know. Today, it stops. The ineffectiveness stops. The silence is over. I'm turning from that. It's disgusting to me. I, I can't stand it anymore. That's what it means to turn. So you state your poverty of heart. You turn from being unalarmed about ineffectiveness, and you get aggressive about fixing it. And then you admit all sin. Any kind of unconfessed sin that you have in your heart and life, you bring it to God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, The Lord's ear, uh, arm is not short that he cannot save, and his ear is not dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have turned him from you. So the only thing that can really keep you from being up next to God and being filled with the power of the Spirit is unconfessed sin. And let me encourage you, whenever you sin, don't run from God about that. Don't pretend like there isn't anything there. Hey, you can be completely honest with him. He already knows, and he's not not injured you over it. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus Christ is a sympathetic Savior. Oh, He's very sympathetic. If on a scale of 1 to 10 of temptation you fall at a 7, Jesus never failed. So He knows the power of temptation to 10. He knows the power of temptation. He's terribly sympathetic. And therefore, it says in verse 16, "...let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace." That we may receive mercy and grace in the time of need. And we urge you to do that today with any unconfessed sin. You come before God, give it up to Him, and give it up just as quickly as you commit it. You don't have to wait. Give it up to Him. And so admit all known sin. But then, the next thing is, R, that is, requisition, requisition God's promises. Request God's promises. Plead with Him to come through. Um, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said, ask, it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. And listen to how unqualified all of this is. Your answers to prayer, by the way, have very little to do with your qualification to get before God. Did you know that? You may not be very qualified to approach God But in the blood of Jesus Christ, you can. And so, therefore, your prayers have very little to do with your qualifications. They have more to do with the Father heart of God that loves to hear his children. Because Jesus said, ask it shall be given to you, seek you shall find, knock the door shall be opened to you. For to him who asks it shall be given, to him who seeks it shall find, to him who knocks the door shall be opened. And, And which one, speaking to his disciples, which man among you, if he has a son and he comes and asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks him for fish and will give him a serpent? I mean, as lowly as you all, and Judas Iscariot was in that bunch, as lowly as you all are, you would never give a child a snake instead of fish, or a stone instead of bread. Well then, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, you come before God and you plead with Him, and you say, oh God, you have promised, now I need you to come through. Your name's on the line, God. And in a sacred and holy way, you hold his feet to the fire. You, 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 you promise God, you've got to come through. And God encourages us even in Isaiah 45, 11, when he says, as for the works of my hands, watch this, God speaking, as for the works of my hands, you command me. God says in prayer, you direct me what to do. You instruct me with what to do. Now, it's got to be according to God's word. But he's talking about the works of his hands. So God, God encourages people, encourages those who belong to Jesus to be ambitious and aggressive in prayer and come before him and plead with him. Hey, that reminds me of the three brothers that visited grandmother's house. This is uh, kind of homey, but I like it. He, uh, the three of them spent the night with the grandmother, and they got up Saturday morning and she'd bake fresh biscuits. And one little brother comes downstairs. And says, Grandma, give me a biscuit. And she puts it on a paper towel, and he runs outside and begins to devour it. And the next little brother comes down and says, Grandma, give me a biscuit. And she puts it on a paper towel, and he goes outside with his brother and devours it. The third little brother comes down and says, Grandma, give me a biscuit. And she puts it on a paper towel, and he says, Grandma, would you put butter and honey on it? I mean, it's steaming up, and so she breaks it open. She puts butter and honey. It melts instantly. He goes outside, and in front of his brothers, who've already devoured their biscuits, he eats, and it drips down the side of his face onto his clothes. (laughs) And his brothers look at him and say, Well, why didn't Grandma put butter and honey on our biscuits? And he said, You didn't ask. You know why some have got the power of God and God is active in their lives? They ask. They plead with God. They're hungry. They're aggressive. They're sick and tired of not being effective. They're sick and tired of neighbors being lost year after year after year. Husbands being lost year after year after year. Wives being lost. Children being astray and lost year after year after year. And they plead with God and they grab hold of God and they fast and they pray and they plead with God to come through and God comes through in His time. Requisition or request the promises of God. Be ambitious and aggressive about it. And then finally, T, tell others like God is going to answer. You've asked God to help you. You've pleaded with Him to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Now go out and act like God is going to answer that prayer request. You don't sit around and wait. You go act in faith. You're asking God to give you the power of the Spirit and the words to say, to tell someone about Jesus. We'll ask him and then go tell somebody. And then you'll find he will come through. You don't let God mysteriously arrange all of this. God doesn't do that. That's not his job. Sometimes, occasionally, he'll do that. But what the scripture teaches is you get ambitious, you get active, and you tell someone. You go act like God is going to answer that prayer request. And may I say to you, today... You could start with the Holy Spirit, and this morning, even now during an invitation, this all could transpire in less than 60 seconds. It's not complicated to have the power of the Holy Spirit and be a vessel through whom the Holy Spirit can speak. It's not complicated. It can transpire in less than a minute on this day. You can start with the Holy Spirit and move with the Holy Spirit into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Lent is? Lent is something that some Christian groups observe uh, prior to Easter and they give up certain things for a certain amount of time for Lent. Now, Baptists don't usually observe that. We think every day ought to be Lent, but I don't criticize those who do, but that's why we don't do that. But nevertheless, I think it's a pretty good practice. But they give up something for giving up something for Lent. It's what they do. That's rather common in our culture, or it used to be. Anyway, uh, they give up something for Lent. I, I've known people that, um, goodness, that they, they broke the habit of smoking that way, or they um, uh, broke um, uh, well many things that they didn't particularly like. And sometimes it may be something sinful, and sometimes it may be something they're they afraid they're paying too much attention to. Uh, some this past year uh, gave up social media for Lent. And some gave, have given up television, and some have given up other things. Some have given up gossip for Lent. Well, we think that when it comes to sin and righteousness, every day needs to be Lent. But I appreciate the annual focus uh, on that. Well, Gene Smith is a nun with, uh, attached to Loyola University in Chicago. And this past year, during the NCAA March Madness Tournament, Loyola went very deep into the tournament, and they are a very small school. And they were pretty much the Cinderella team. For the first time in history, a number 16 seed team beat a first seed team. And Loyola was the 16th seed that beat a number, a number one. They got very deep into the tournament. And nun Jean Smith was uh, on television a lot because she attended the games. And uh, she prayed for them. She blessed them. She became a symbol of all of their victory. And someone asked her, she said, by the way, What did you give up for Lent? And she said, losing. (laughs) (laughs) I think every day ought to be Lent. Can I encourage you this morning during our invitation time? Why don't you give up losing? God didn't save you and give you the Holy Spirit for you to keep losing. That was never His design. Romans 8 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Transliterated, we are hyper Nikes. Nike, the Greek word for victory, hyper, well you know. We're hyper Nikes through Jesus Christ who loves us. That's God's intention for you. And if you'll start with the Holy Spirit today, God is going to bless you if you'll trust him. Some of you need Uh, you need to start not with the Holy Spirit today. You need to start with Jesus Christ. During the message today, God made very, very clear that Jesus is the true and living way and things are not right between you and God. Do you know they can be today? If you will turn away from your fear and turn away from self-control over your own life and turn to Jesus Christ and trust Him alone because He died and rose again, God will cancel your guilt permanently and eternally. And you'll never, ever have to deal with that as an issue between you and God again. Never again. Your relationship with Him will be permanently sealed. And that's why Jesus bled and died. And that cross and resurrection that Jesus experienced are enough to make you a child of God with eternal favor forever and forever from this point on. I want to invite you to come today. We're going to pray We're going to begin singing, and as we sing, you come. Staff will be here, and we'll receive you. Would you pray with me, please?